Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Dalitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always here with the amazing Richard Hill. I look, at, I, I'm, I'm fabulous to be amazing. I don't feel so amazing. Got a bit of a bit of a chesty thing. Oh, stuff going around, winter changing, all that stuff. But um, we keep getting these wonderful speakers uh, that we're experiencing from the Holistic Recovery Summit. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, remember everybody, just go in and click on the links on on our pages to go and and sign up to that for free. Mm-hmm. But this is a really interesting subject, and it's a subject that Susie, my partner, is uh, very well versed in as she's a lifestyle medicine practitioner herself and it's talking about eating and mm. uh, the nature of the, the, this eating there's emotional eating there's physical frameworks uh, and we've got this wonderful uh fabulous fascinating person from england tell us all about her Okay, we're going to go across and talk to Dr. Helen McCarthy. Now, she's a clinical psychologist and author of How to Retrain Your Appetite. And at the summit, she'll be talking on overcoming emotional eating with the new science of behavior change. Really interesting. And we've just got a word or two here about the summit. Have a listen. If you're interested in deepening your understanding of addiction and how best to treat it, you might want to check out the Holistic Recovery Summit. This is a free online conference which brings together 35 world-leading clinical psychologists, researchers and practitioners. We will share with you their best practices for mind, body, social and spiritual approaches to addiction treatment, enabling you to be at the forefront of evidence-based care. With a lineup including Stephen Porges, Janina Fisher, Ian McGilchrist, Pat Ogden, Anna Lemke, Stephen Hayes, Richard Schwartz, and 28 others this really is a once in a lifetime learning opportunity the best bit is it's 100 free to attend live and you can do so from the comfort of home you'll also be able to upgrade to your recordings and certification pass after registration although this is entirely optional for more information please check out the sign up link in the description dr helen mccarthy thank you so much for joining us here on the science of psychotherapy podcast it's great to meet you great to meet you both thanks for inviting me I oh, know it's great pleasure, and uh, uh, Richard here, lovely, lovely to meet you. This is such uh, an interesting and important topic that you cover, and as you say eating, what we put in our mouths, what our bodies do with it, and uh, uh, you know, we just spoke briefly before, but this, this still is so little understanding about this, uh, and so uh, I, I, it's just interesting. What what got you into the uh, into this area and then writing the you know these fabulous books that you've been writing the the thing that started me off was when I was working with a patient I've been a clinical psychologist for 34 years and about 12 years ago I was working with a patient who developed an eating disorder and out of a chance remark by her I realized that although as professionals many of us have been trained to help people with eating disorders and we can we can Um, sometimes really help people a great deal with uh, diagnosable eating disorders we don't we didn't really uh, have much to offer people who just want to change how they eat in a more um, ordinary everyday way and millions and millions of people are struggling with that with um, being encouraged pushed finding themselves eating more than they intend, either because they eat beyond the point of being full, they eat because they've just seen something or they've seen something advertised or they've developed cravings or 
they've started finding uh, that emotional eating is something that's happening regularly. Those sorts of issues, which don't meet the aren't about eating disordered eating, but they're about uh, uh, really create a lot of unhappiness and misery around eating. So I got really interested in this. Yeah, no, it's really interesting that there was one particular experiment that that absolutely you know grabbed me in doing it, where they they were actually doing uh, teaching a class, a, a academic class on a, a master's degree or something on on eating, and they were talking about overeating and the way we uh, we apply things is talking about sizes of plates and all kinds of stuff. So they spent a week studying this stuff, and at the end of the week they did a smorgasbord, um, you know, just uh, take your plate around, unbeknownst to the participants they were measuring and weighing the plates and every single student overfilled their plate mm. despite a week of knowledge so these mm. these these sort of what are they inner pressures instincts are they what what drives people to to just grab what food is available when it's available like that well, in one sense, it's it's to do with evolution, isn't it? It's to do with how our bodies evolved and our minds, because our minds evolved alongside our bodies. So evolutionary psychology is at play here, as well as evolutionary biology. And we evolved to deal with conditions of unpredictable food supply. So everything about how we relate to food, in terms of our ancient biology and uh, psychology, is about... Uh, scoring food when we can and maybe eating more than we need because our bodies have developed to store it so that we we don't have to eat it the same amount every day we've got the capacity to store food for lean periods but now we live in an environment where those lean periods aren't happening in the same way because we've got an oversupply many of us have an oversupply of food which for many people is affordable um and and there are whole issues around uh affordability and the sorts of foods that are cheaper but but that said we've got a, a completely different food environment from the one that we evolved to live in and many of the attempts to help people with this have focused on helping people to try and return to how we might have eaten years ago so going back to un unprocessed or minimally processed foods but I think there's a case to be made for actually what I try and, try and focus on is helping people to start where they are now and, and work on one thing at a time. This is where the science of behavior change comes in, that changing how you eat overnight is massively challenging. Whereas if you just take one thing at a time and focus on that, you're giving yourself a much greater chance of being able to sustain the changes that you make. Yeah. And I'm assuming because your physiology is adapting with each tiny change that um, that you can you can manage that. Now, now I, was, I was just thinking, you know, the the food industry um, sort of knows how we're built. Right. And yes. um, and high, you know, they're very rich, high calorie, highly processed foods are, are, are kind of what, you know, we we are desiring for survival's sake, even though we don't need that for survival um, in educating people now i know richard you just gave that example of people being educated and just didn't make any difference whatsoever um but but surely there is a bit of an argument for um for getting people to understand exactly what is happening um in in this process of of um you know consuming over consuming uh, mm -hmm. are, are, you, are you finding that or or 
do we do we well, have to go to just just like you said do these these micro behavioral changes to lead people well i think that for some people the impact of understanding what's happening in the food environment is massive. So what I find is that when I encourage people to read uh, David Kessler's book on overeating um, and more very much more recently, Chris Van Tullican's book, Ultra Processed People, people's usual response to that is to feel very angry because they feel manipulated by this food mm -hmm. industry. Having, you know, it's not like big evil food industry um, but there are there are things about it that make people angry and that can that can bring about change but most of the processes that are involved in eating are not conscious rational decisions okay. so we need to take into account the fact that a lot of what's going on when we're overeating is to do with basically to do with um regulation of our internal state so it's about um it's about discovering what helps to manage our autonomic nervous system reactivity, which is where this, I think, fits into the overall summit, really, that when we discover that particular foods have particular effects on our bodies and minds, we're going to reach for those foods again when we're in a, an uncomfortable state. And any amount of education, any amount of um, information is just not operating at the level that those processes are operating at. So yep. the, the point about the micro behavioral changes really is that you can get very focused on, well, is this actually a case of you just, um, you just need to learn um, to adjust down the size of your meals say, or is it that the, the thing that is keeping you at a weight you don't want to be at is that you find that you always turn to food when you're stressed or bored or whatever it is. And in those cases, emotional eating, the thing to say about emotional eating is emotional eating is about emotions and emotional regulation. It's not really about eating. It's like it's, it's just like your drug of choice, in effect. And and there's lots of um, uh, of cues and clues and uh, uh, that uh, and things that externally you know films everywhere you know the the the, the crying person you know eating a tub of ice cream and uh, but just a quick aside with that experiment where they ate too much uh, Matt that was good they did put better food on their plate uh, mm. but, they, but they still filled it up but uh, yeah uh, and I mean there are complex uh, sort of technical issues we you know there's insulin resistance there's some um, uh, you know there's addictive qualities of, of of dopaminergic frameworks so there's all kinds of technical things how how do how do you manage that how do you find uh, are people I would imagine just varied in what they're able to perceive or or what is helpful for them what what do you do what I do is look at which specific eating patterns people are unhappy with. And usually, so I've got a, a sort of um, checklist, it's not a free checklist on my website that just prompts people to think about what specifically is, is sort of wrong with their eating in terms of their own point of view. So is it that they're, uh, they're eating 
too large portions, for example, or is it that they're, as we've talked earlier, is it eating when you're bored or whatever it is? So the first thing to do is to get specific. So forget diets because diets are a very scattergun approach. If if some diets work for some people, and that's great, but they have this very scattergun quality of, of uh, targeting your overall eating. Change it, maybe, you know, checking out what's in your cupboards and shopping again. This is very different. This is saying a lot of the way that you eat is probably fine. And the but there will be things that are very specific that are keeping you at a weight that you're not comfortable with or that you just feel out of control around eating. And if we can home in on what, what that is, and it may be a number of things, but even if it's a number of things, you start with one and then it's tailored to the individual so that um, people might really benefit from understanding a, a bit about any of these systems. But uh, primarily it's about uh, the person's own unhappiness and what will make most difference to them in terms of making changes and starting with that. Okay, and, and you assume that they have an intuitive or even a very explicit and obvious knowledge of what am I doing wrong here? I, I kind of know I'm yes. eating, yeah. Yeah, people, I, my, in my experience, people people do have that. What they What they don't necessarily have is awareness of the things that underlie that or underpin that. So for example, we vary in, in our degree of interoceptive awareness, the, the degree to which we can tune in and notice what's happening in our bodies. One of the main thing, or one of the key things that can send that pattern down the trajectory as you're, as you're growing up, if you're exposed to real, a lot of trauma, then your and your nervous system is getting repeatedly overwhelmed then your ability to tune in and notice what's happening in your body biologically to do with digestion may be slightly eclipsed by the need to detach or dissociate or uh, switch off from mm -hmm. overwhelming you know intensity internally so it's um it's it's about once you can see what the the particular starting point is with a with a particular eating behavior, you then start looking at what's beneath it. And when, I mean, but you were talking before the autonomic nervous system, you know, our, our sense of stress, our sense of of managing, and of course, uh, with the vagus nerve, we know this uh, plus the various other aspects of hormonal and endocrine system behaviors affects the gut. Uh, yeah. So we get diff we we affect the digestive processes as as well. Is this something that uh, uh, becomes apparent, like uh, uh, in in the work with people? This is hugely important. Yes, and I think one thing that is important is is to mention and recognize that we people vary in the extent to which they can readily um, adjust how they eat because the hormonal signals to do the appetite hormonal signals let alone the stress uh, hormonal related signals profoundly influence what's happening in terms of appetite drives so it may be that one person is uh, much more um, easily satisfied by food than another so so somebody who uh, never really feels full is in a very different position 
than somebody who feels full quite soon because of what's happening in terms of appetite regulation. Same thing happens with hunger. Some people uh, experience continual hunger and others experience relatively infrequent sensations of hunger. So it's really important to recognize that these biological drivers to eating are not equally distributed and that weight loss and uh, weight regulation is absolutely not a level playing field. Yeah, I, I'm much more able to, uh, I, I'm just as observing mine, of course, we went through this process of the thing, but I'm much more able to eat a little bit of chocolate as a, as a pleasantry um, mm. uh, than, um, and that not affect my weight as much as eating bread. So mm. that's my particular gut, my particular reaction to uh, to, to weight loss, and it's kind of woohoo uh, because uh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. But it is yeah. interesting that where, whereas other people uh, you can eat bread till the cows come home, other friends of mine they have a piece of chocolate and poof, you know, it's terrible. So it's it is. I appreciate this is very in, in, important to understand the the individual nature of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Our ongoing conversation, Richard, about client, um, you know, receptivity and, and mm. um, you know, being individualistic. I mean, this is, we just mentioned before about diets and how, you know, they're a bit hit and miss. Um, I'm guessing that's because it's not a one size fits all. I mean, because we, we really need to have this individual approach, right? That's right. And that's so interesting, that point, because what is happening in the world of nutrition is uh, which I'm not qualified in, but what's happening in the world of nutrition is moving very much, it seems, towards personalized nutrition and, and uh, really looking at individualized responses to different foods, what uh, Rich's just been talking about. But interestingly, in the world of psychology, um, moving towards uh, process-based therapies and really, I mean, obviously therapy has always been individually based when we work with individuals, but um, framing and formulating things individually in terms of the particular processes, psychological processes that, that are keeping people stuck in very particular ways is, um, is, is relatively new. I'm thinking of Stephen Hayes' work on process-based therapy and is, is really, the whole thing I think is really, um, gaining a lot of momentum in terms of really appreciating the 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 individual differences yeah, yeah. And, and here we are once again richard talking about uh, the appreciation for complex systems mm. yes yeah. <laughs> yes it's it's interesting i've just been reading a a, a whole bunch of work uh, uh, in relation to what we call post-humanism which uh, everybody's got a Everybody's a need to describe something differently. But essentially, uh, one paper I was reading, and I just kept reading it, and I'm going, and, and he would say, there's this problem. I said, yes, that's only a problem if you think in generalizing. If you actually think in the complex system and the individual framework, uh, you begin to understand. But there are these generalizable uh, uh, aspects. I mean, insulin resistance, of course, is, mm. is one that's terribly important that mm. drives this sense of need for hunger. I mean, it's too much for us to describe now, but mm. it's just that you, when you eat a big sugar load, the body actually shuts down from receiving it and burning it up because it's it, it almost thinks it's a poison. And as soon as the sugar gets shifted off into the fat cells, all the cells open up again and saying, oh, great, everything's not so bad anymore, but I'm still hungry. 
So mm. these sort of mm. rotating hunger pangs are, 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 are something that people have difficulty uh, really grasping and, and settling down with. Mm. And, and again, people's responses, the degree of insulin resistance uh, between people will vary. It's not, um, it's not something I'm expert in. Um, it's it's much more to do. It, there's there's a lot to be understood about insulin resistance, and it certainly seems to be um, something that's really important for many people in understanding their difficulties about weight regulation. Um, mm. But it's one, and it's one of many biological processes that uh, that contribute to um, uh, difficulties with with weight regulation, certainly. Yeah. yeah, and your your focus, your focus is is uh, uh, from what I hear strongly on the the psychological aspects on the yes. those sorts of areas of of the way you think and the way you process well process oriented uh, aspects. Yes. So yeah, that's so interesting, Helen. Uh, uh, there's so much interesting, uh, but actually, time is always our our not our enemy, but I think it's uh, we want people to get things in a solid bite, and we've said some fabulous stuff, but we are running out of uh, out of our our bandwidth here. Is there something we've missed, or is there something you, you uh, just a roundup that you could give us as we uh, leave people, because we know that they can go to the the holistic uh, conference and and have a listen to you very shortly. What I'd say to fellow professionals from all disciplines is that uh, 12 years ago, when I started this work, I had no idea how much work and research there is going on in experimental psychology and applied psychology to do with mechanisms that affect how we eat. And the more I've learned about this, the, the memory processes, attentional processes, uh, all sorts of the things that are, are mainstream psychology the the influences that those things have on our eating is is really empowering for people to understand more about and when as professionals we can share this knowledge and research with our clients or patients it helps to it it helps them to frame the struggles they've got around eating understand that those struggles are completely understandable and adaptable and that if they focus on making one change at a time, equipped with the knowledge and understanding of why this thing is being maintained and maybe why it developed, but particularly why this pattern is being maintained, it is it is really liberating. It's and it's wonderfully life-changing because when you when you can change something like um your relationship to food, a lot of other things change as well. And you you're not making, you're not overhauling everything. You're just you're just getting a, a, a changes that you value in in the way that you deal with eating and food wonderful and it affects all of potentially affects all of life so uh, a yeah. grand work and and wonderful work and of course a huge problem uh that that people constantly try and, and manage so thank you so much uh for sharing what you've got and and we're really looking forward to seeing your full presentation uh, at the holistic recovery summit uh and that's wonderful so so pretty useful matt absolutely Dr. Helen McCarthy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy and yeah, really look forward to hearing you at the summit. Thank you. It's been great. Lovely questions. Thank you. So 
And as I say, we've got the links uh, in our website. If you're on our yep. mailing list, you'll get that. If you're not on our mailing list, jump in on our Science of Psychotherapy uh, website and sign into the the, the uh, mailing list. Fabulous things coming out to you on a regular basis. Fantastic. Um, and we will get um, Dr. Helen McCarthy back on the show to do a bit more of a deep dive into this topic because I reckon um, the, we've got a lot to talk about on this topic. But in the meantime, um, as Richard said, jump down into the show notes there. There will be a link there to the Holistic Recovery sum Summit. It's all free. Jump in, have a look. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Absolutely not, Matt. Uh, it, it's fabulous. Um, anyway, for now, though, I think we've done our bit. So uh, I'm going to say goodbye for the first time. So uh, bye for now. And back to you. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye.